Open. Ten days ago, OpenAI was worth $86 billion. Investors in OpenAI were about to launch a tender offer to buy employee shares at that valuation, and employees were lining up to tender. There were willing buyers and sellers at that price. Then events occurred. There was a boardroom coup, and OpenAI's founder and chief executive officer, Sam Altman, was fired. At one point, the valuation of OpenAI was apparently zero dollars. Several OpenAI investors were noisily saying that they were going to write down their shares to zero. And it looked like Microsoft Corp. was about to acquire most of OpenAI's staff without paying the company or its other investors anything for them. But then there was another boardroom coup. Altman got his job back, and most of the directors who fired him were themselves fired. Altman returned, and there have been suggestions that he and Microsoft, OpenAI's biggest investor, extracted some promises that this sort of thing won't be allowed to happen again, that there will be fundamental governance changes to make OpenAI more robust and probably more commercial. So how much should OpenAI be worth today? Some possible answers. Less than $86 billion for governance reasons. After a rapid rise in prominence and valuation, OpenAI revealed some serious cracks, causing its valuation to become $0 for a while, meaning that investors should be far more cautious about it now than they were before. It is more volatile than people thought. The lesson of the last week I suggested on Tuesday might be, don't invest in nonprofits at an $86 billion valuation. Maybe investors will learn that lesson. More than $86 billion for governance reasons. Those cracks were there from the beginning, and investors presumably accounted for them in that $86 billion valuation. But now that Altman has won his power struggle and cemented his control, the future OpenAI will be less weird and nonprofity and afraid of its own shadow. It's the same exciting business, but with better, more investor-friendly governance, so it should be worth more to investors. Less than $86 billion for governance reasons. Two. Did Altman win his power struggle? Ten days ago, he was the CEO and a board member. Now, he is off the board. Ben Thompson quotes a Reddit post arguing that the drama was precipitated by Altman's efforts to seize total control of the board and that the other board members outmaneuvered him, with the result that his power has been diminished. The other board members get the outcome they want. Sam and Greg Brockman, gone from the board, Adam D'Angelo remains, who has experience of Sam and Greg's shenanigans, and two mutually agreeable independent board members are added, who will presumably rein in Altman. More than $86 billion for governance reasons. Two, maybe a board that reigns in Altman will start by reining in his extracurricular AI-related business ventures, a chip company, an AI-focused hardware device, and make him focus more on open AI, which will be good for the company. When Altman returns, he'll likely have to address claims that he's been distracted by a number of projects, including those outside OpenAI, reports the information. Maybe he'll do the hardware stuff within OpenAI instead of in a new startup, creating more value for OpenAI investors. Less than $86 billion for straightforward business reasons. The instability of the last week was bad for customers, who will be reluctant to base their AI strategies on OpenAI and will shift to its competitors. Thompson writes, any company would have to think long and hard about basing their business on OpenAI's API. More than $86 billion for business reasons. This last week sure drew a lot of attention to OpenAI and its products and their capabilities. 
And if you think of OpenAI as basically a consumer internet company, then any attention is good. If you read a week of press about how OpenAI's board members are afraid that its product will enslave humanity, I mean, that is kind of good advertising for the capabilities of that product. More than $86 billion for technological reasons. One precipitating event of the boardroom coup might have been a breakthrough in OpenAI's research. Reuters reported that several staff researchers wrote a letter to the board of directors warning of a powerful artificial intelligence discovery that they said could threaten humanity. And the information reported that this was an innovation by the company's researchers earlier this year that would allow them to develop far more powerful artificial intelligence models, including a model called QSTAR that was able to solve math problems that it hadn't seen before. If you were willing to buy OpenAI stock at an $86 billion valuation as a bet that it would develop increasingly powerful AI models, evidence that it has in fact developed increasingly powerful AI models should cause you to increase your valuation. Less than $86 billion for regulatory reasons. All this drama is going to increase regulatory attention on AI, and new rules will make it harder for OpenAI to innovate and commercialize rapidly. More than $86 billion for regulatory reasons. All this drama is going to increase regulatory attention on AI, and new rules will make it harder for OpenAI's smaller competitors to innovate and commercialize rapidly, leaving it with a head start on building a monopoly. Precisely $86 billion. Nothing worth thinking about happened over the last 10 days. I think that last answer is obviously insane, but I am not a venture capitalist. We talk a lot around here in a semi-joking way about this appealing feature of private market investments. They are less volatile than public investments because when dramatic shifts in markets or fundamentals happen, you can ignore them and just say that the value of your private investments is miraculously unchanged. Without a market price, you never need to mark to market. It would be very, very funny if the events of the last 10 days caused no change in the valuation of OpenAI. And yet, the information reported last week, an OpenAI employee share sale that values the firm at $86 billion is back on track following Sam Altman's reinstatement as CEO late Tuesday night, a person familiar with the matter said. The deal, in which a group of investors led by Thrive Capital will buy up to $1 billion of stock, and conceivably more, held by employees or other investors, is expected to close next month. In a statement, a spokesperson for the Josh Kushner-run Thrive said they were impressed by the resilience and strength they witnessed over the last few days, and that they consider it a true honor to be their partners now and in the future. Though the Financial Times is less confident, an upcoming sale of shares in OpenAI is set to test how much the past week's leadership chaos has cost the company and its backers, though big investors are bullish about securing a high valuation. The employee stock sale, which had been planned before the sacking last week of Chief Executive Sam Altman and expected to value the company at $86 billion, will continue as planned, according to two investors with direct knowledge of the matter. Investors remain confident that a new share sale can still treble the $29 billion valuation placed on OpenAI when Microsoft committed to invest $10 million in the company at the start of this year. Clearly, this almost destroyed a lot of value in the short term. It's hard to say what happens next, said Vinod Kosla, an early investor in OpenAI. 
Valuation is a function of investor perceptions. The company is the same or better off than it was last Thursday. But analysts have suggested that OpenAI will be hit by the week's events, with rival groups such as Google and Amazon representing strong and stable challengers in the race to offer generative artificial intelligence services to businesses and consumers. I don't know that there are still willing buyers and willing sellers at that $86 billion price, or that there are as many of them as there were 10 days ago, but it seems like there might be. Doesn't someone have to be wrong? I suppose it is possible that the answer is, the distribution of possible OpenAI outcomes is much wider than it was 10 days ago, but the midpoint of that distribution is still $86 billion. But what a weird coincidence that would be. Actually, another possible answer is that the distribution of outcomes is narrower than it used to be. Like 10 days ago, I suppose it was possible that Altman would come to the board and say, this nonprofit stuff isn't working, we need to fire you and become a regular for-profit startup. I mean, OpenAI used to be entirely a nonprofit, and now it is a hybrid nonprofit slash capped profit entity, and you might have expected it to continue to move in that direction. Conversely, it was totally possible that the nonprofit board would fire Altman and burn the company to the ground in order to prevent it from developing unsafe artificial intelligence. Allowing the company to be destroyed would be consistent with the mission, a board member apparently told employees. And then these last 10 days have cut off some of those possibilities. The first possibility, OpenAI becomes purely for profit, I guess is still open, but it might be less likely, given the fierce resistance the old board put up and the fact that that board still has a representative on the new board. Altman also agreed to an internal investigation into the conduct that led to his dismissal, which suggests that there will still be a counterbalance to his power in the new company and limits on his ability to do uh, whatever that conduct was. The second possibility, burn the company to the ground, etc., seems much less likely now. The board did fire Altman, and it almost burned the company to the ground. And then the board blinked, and presumably the new board, and any future board, won't do that again. Like, they tried that, they saw what happened, they didn't like it, lessons have been learned, and that is no longer an option for the board. And so, for instance, consider Microsoft Corp, which has committed some $13 billion to open AI and relies on its products for its AI strategy. One possible conclusion for Microsoft to draw from this drama would be, we need much more robust legal protections and a board seat so that this doesn't happen again. But another possible conclusion would be, actually, no, it turns out we have plenty of leverage already. We got what we wanted after a few tense days, so we don't need a board seat after all. The Wall Street Journal reported last week, even after investing $13 billion, Microsoft didn't have a board seat or visibility into OpenAI's governance, since it worried that having too much sway would alarm increasingly aggressive regulators. That left Microsoft exposed to the risks of OpenAI's curious structure. Altman's company was set up as a nonprofit with a board whose primary responsibility wasn't maximizing shareholder value, but developing safe AI that benefits all of humanity. By not having a board seat, Microsoft ended up blindsided. The company was also vulnerable to Altman leaving to start another company and taking employees with him. In a possibility that seemed remote until suddenly it was reality, 
OpenAI's board firing him without asking for input from its biggest investor. Microsoft has had to strike a tricky balance with OpenAI, safeguarding its investment while ensuring that its ownership stake remained below 50% to avoid regulatory pitfalls. And there were moments last week when it looked like Microsoft had gotten that balance wrong and its investment might be worthless. But not too many of them. The worst case seems to have been mostly Microsoft hires Altman and all of his employees and has basically acquired OpenAI for $13 billion. The best case, and largely the actual outcome, was Microsoft can tell OpenAI's board what to do even without having a board seat. No board seats and tons of practical leverage is probably better for economic and regulatory reasons than having a board seat. And now everyone knows. Last Monday, I wrote a column the gist of which is sure the nonprofit OpenAI board technically controls the company and Microsoft and the other investors have no legal rights. But practically, the investors have the money and they will probably get what they want. I qualified that conclusion because, at the time, the investors conspicuously had not gotten what they wanted, but by Tuesday night, they did. It turns out that Microsoft's informal sources of leverage were in fact good enough. It turns out that in exactly the right circumstances, investing $13 billion in a nonprofit at an $86 billion valuation is fine. Further open AI. A few quick points. First, University of Kentucky law professor Alan James Klugel emailed me to suggest a theory that maps the OpenAI conflict between its nonprofit board that worried about AI safety and its employees who love Altman and wanted him back onto a straightforward uh, valuation dispute. The board is made up of AI evangelists. The reason they openly worry about AI getting too powerful is out of a belief in the potential for a godlike AI, or at least out of concern that this soon-to-be ubiquitous technology should be in its best possible shape before being distributed to the world. The employees, however, are familiar with all of the AI's limitations and problems and costs, and, being Silicon Valley veterans, are also familiar with the hype cycle at play here. In other words, this is a story about the employees wanting to secure the bag while the unrealized potential of their product has captured everyone's attention and imagination. And Sam Altman's fundraising and the Thrive Capital tender offer in particular was going to be their golden ticket until the starry-eyed board killed their payday in a flurry of techno-optimistic excitement. This is absolutely not at all what anyone was saying and I suspect that it is not what anyone was thinking, but I like it as an objective explanation of what they were doing. It is not unheard of for a startup to get a pretty high valuation and for its employees to think, hey, let's cash out while the money is there. While its board members are venture capitalists with diversified portfolios and liquidation preferences who are more willing to wait and gamble. Venture capitalist board members are supposed to be able to take the long view and bet on changing the world, while employees are often more risk-averse and need cash to pay the mortgage. OpenAI's board members are not venture capitalists, own equity at all, are not motivated by hopes of a trillion-dollar valuation, and were in fact adverse to its venture capitalist investors. And yet, I think, I think the model applies. Um, they took a very long and grandiose view of the importance of their product and its ability to change the world, while the employees would like to see some cash now. Second, we talked last week about the oddity of OpenAI as a nonprofit organization with a board that does not answer to shareholders. Tyler Cowen pointed out 
that the literature on nonprofit governance is pretty negative, quoting a 2014 paper by George Dent. A remarkable consensus of experts on NPOs agrees that their governance is generally abysmal, considerably worse than that of for-profit corporations. NPO directors are mostly ill-informed, quarrelsome, clueless about their proper role, and dominated by the CEO, as proponents of shareholder primacy would predict. Dominated by the CEO was apparently not true of OpenAI, but you gotta give them quarrelsome. Third, I really do have to quote last week's incredible Wall Street Journal report about the board's non-explanation of what Altman did to get himself fired. On the call, the leadership team pressed the board over the course of about 40 minutes for specific examples of Altman's lack of candor, the people said. The board refused, citing legal reasons, the people said. The board agreed to discuss the matter with their counsel. After a few hours, they returned, still unwilling to provide specifics. They said that Altman wasn't candid and often got his way. The board said that Altman had been so deft they couldn't even give a specific example, according to the people familiar with the executives. Without realizing it, we were gradually overmatched by a superior intelligence until he ended up controlling us in ways that are too subtle for us to even explain, thought the AI nervous board of OpenAI. I love them. Their fears about rogue AI are such obvious metaphors for their mundane real-life problems. Fourth, last week I asked some questions like, did Microsoft agree to any sort of non-compete or non-solicit? And does Altman have any sort of non-solicit? I was careful not to ask, did OpenAI's employees sign non-competes? Because I am aware, not legal advice, that employee non-competes don't work in California. But a lot of readers emailed me to point that out anyway, and also pointed out that non-solicitation clauses are also generally not enforced in California. So there, that's why. Finally, it is a long-running shtick of this column that whenever I take a day off, Elon Musk does something crazy. I took much of last week off for Thanksgiving. I guess by Monday Elon Musk is going to own OpenAI and Binance, I threaded. But I wasn't really worried until OpenAI's new board was announced. The chairman is Brett Taylor, who was also the chairman of the board of Twitter Inc. when Musk bought it. I don't really think that Musk is going to buy OpenAI, but I am going to take some time off for the holidays in December, so who knows. Here are two possible theories of what Binance is. Binance is the world's leading crypto exchange, a large financial institution that allows investors, speculators, hedgers, and other users to transact in the trillion-dollar cryptocurrency sector. It is, in many ways, the leading financial institution in crypto, but it is fairly young and aggressive, and it has not always been very careful about compliance. In particular, it has not been careful about anti-money laundering and know-your-customer checks, and so has allowed a certain number of bad people to do bad transactions using crypto. Binance is a place for laundering money. These theories differ in degree. They start from similar facts, but emphasize them differently. Nobody disputes that a lot of criminals have laundered money on Binance. For example, the U.S. Department of Justice pointed out in a criminal information against Binance last week, in a February 2019 chat conversation, one compliance employee wrote, We need a banner is washing drug money too hard these days. Come to Binance, we got cake for you. If your compliance employees are suggesting that you advertise your drug money laundering business, that seems bad. 
And yet, last week's U.S. federal charges against Binance struck me as fairly gentle. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, in practice though not in so many words, takes the position that crypto exchanges are fundamentally illegal. The practical goal of its crypto enforcement actions, including against Binance, is to shut them down, or at least shut them out of the U.S. The U.S. Department of Justice does not take that position. Its basic theory of Binance is that Binance messed up a lot and has to pay a huge fine and change its practices, but that it can go ahead and do that. It's a basically legitimate business with a money laundering problem, the Justice Department thinks. Which is a pretty good outcome? Anyway, here are the Justice Department press release from last Tuesday, the charging document, and Attorney General Merrick Garland's remarks. Binance will pay about $4.3 billion and retain an independent compliance monitor for three years and remediate and enhance their anti-money laundering and sanctions compliance programs. There was a time, not so long ago, when people thought that it was a death blow to a financial institution to make it plead guilty to criminal charges. But that time ended, and now it is... Not routine, maybe, but kind of acceptable for a big bank or other financial institution to plead guilty to crimes. Binance is in some sense just a financial institution like any other, and paying $4.3 billion to settle compliance problems is almost a step toward the mainstreaming of crypto. Maybe that is too glib. Binance founder Changpeng Si Zhao pleaded guilty to his own federal crimes and agreed to step down as chief executive officer. He faces prison time, which is pretty unusual for the CEO of a financial institution. Patrick McKenzie argues that this is the beginning of the end for Binance, that it is going to be slowly ground into a very fine paste. But my impression is that U.S. prosecutors can make varying amounts of hay out of this company sent money to terrorists, and in this case, they are making an average amount of hay. This reads to me like the guilty plea of a troubled financial institution, not the guilty plea of a criminal conspiracy that the government wants to end. To be clear, though, Binance's compliance was very bad. Binance also did not implement the core components of an effective AML program. Binance did not implement comprehensive Know Your Customer, KYC, protocols or systematically monitor transactions, and Binance never filed a suspicious activity report, SAR, with FinCEN. For years, Binance allowed users to open accounts and trade without submitting any identifying information beyond an email address. Binance began requiring all users to provide KYC information in August 2021, but allowed users who had not provided KYC to continue trading on the exchange until May 2022. As Binance's internal communications showed, Binance's compliance employees recognized that Binance did not have protocols to flag or report transactions for money laundering risks, which employees recognized would attract criminals to the exchange. As one compliance employee wrote, We need a banner. Is washing drug money too hard these days? Come to Binance, we got cake for you. Due in part to Binance's failure to implement an effective AML program, illicit actors used Binance's exchange in various ways, including conducting transactions for mixing services that obfuscated the source and ownership of cryptocurrency, transferring illicit proceeds from ransomware variants, and moving proceeds of darknet market transactions, exchange hacks, and various internet-related scams. One other point. I wrote last week that a problem for Binance is that you can ring-fence yourself from the U.S. and solve your securities law problems 
but that doesn't work for your money laundering or sanctions problems. U.S. authorities don't like big financial institutions laundering money for terrorists even if they don't have U.S. customers. I kind of still think that's true. But I must say that last week's charges suggest that just blocking U.S. users is a possible option for Binance. From the charging document, Defendant understood that the company would violate U.S. laws by matching U.S. users with users in comprehensively sanctioned jurisdictions, but it did not implement sufficiently effective controls to prevent such sanctions violations from occurring. For example, Defendant could have removed from Binance's platform all accounts associated with either I, U.S. users, or users in comprehensively sanctioned jurisdictions or defendant could have implemented controls in its matching engine to prevent U.S. users from violating sanctions by preventing them from transacting with users in comprehensively sanctioned jurisdictions. What an amazing suggestion. The Justice Department is saying that if Binance 1 had North Korean customers, 2 had U.S. customers, 3 did not allow them to trade directly with each other, by programming its matching engine to reject trades between U.S. and North Korean customers, but four, allowed third country market makers to intermediate trades between them, that would be fine and the U.S. government would not object. I don't think I believe that, but it is an interesting idea. Elsewhere, the Wall Street Journal reports on Sam Bankman-Fried's life behind bars, crypto tips and paying with fish. Back when Bankman-Fried, Alex Mashinsky, the Three Arrows guys, Duquan, and other tarnished crypto luminaries were in their various legal limbos, I like to imagine them all living in a group house in a non-extradition country, filming a reality television show, grousing about whose manipulative trading destroyed whose project. Now they're all in jail, though. But if CZ does get sent to prison in the U.S., I suppose there is still a possibility that he and Bankman-Fried will be roommates? cheap electricity. So on the one hand, har har har, traditional fat finger error. A power trader error sent shockwaves through the Finnish market as it mistakenly offered to sell the equivalent of at least half the country's entire consumption at an hourly auction. Prices dived after the mistake by Connect Energy AS, which said it was an internal system error. Slightly simplified, you can say that they sold something they didn't have, and buyers bought something that doesn't exist, said Pontus de Mare, head of power system operation at Svenska Kraftnut AB. While tomorrow will be manageable, it could be messy, he said. The faulty trades led to an average price of 9 to 2 euros, $221 per megawatt hour, compared with an average in the Nordic region of 35.28 euros, according to Nordpool. On the other hand, those prices seem to be real, like to consumers. I think not literally negative to consumers, but quite cheap. And so the Finnish press last week had articles like, electricity is now record cheap. This is how much you can save by consuming electricity. And sauna on all evening, ham in the oven and electric car charging. This is how readers feel about exceptional Fridays, per Google Translate. Two electric cars in the yard. The batteries are full. The water in the outdoor jacuzzi takes about 12 hours to change with a power of three kilowatts. And you could probably heat the sauna, too, if you were excited to visit in the evening. It's nice to have this kind of Black Friday campaign pricing. Last year at this time, more than a thousand euros in electricity bills were paid. I mine cryptocurrency in two different commercial apartments. Due to the realization of the cheap price, 
I am changing the timing of the crypto mining devices so that the devices are allowed to be on from Thursday evening without a break until further notice, instead of them being off during 05 to 23, as I had scheduled. I love that some guy's gonna mine an extra 0.2 bitcoins because a Finnish power company fat-fingered some trades. That's the best use case for crypto that I think I've ever read. What is a financial system for, if not to ruthlessly turn some people's errors into other people's wealth? Before Satoshi Nakamoto invented Bitcoin, if your electric company accidentally gifted you free power, the most you could do with it was, uh, run your outdoor jacuzzi in Finland in November. Which, honestly, fair play. That's a very funny thing to do with free power, but it does not create lasting wealth whereas now you can turn your electric company's error directly into financial assets. Things happen. Behind Credit Suisse's fall, a chairman's lasting mark on the culture. ICBC's entree onto Wall Street looked like a bargain until hackers crippled its U.S. unit. Boards dither over buyout bids in $40 billion takeover wave. New York court gives blessing on Venezuela bond standstill. A bank watchdog crowned its first chief fintech officer. His work history was a web of lies. Billions wiped out as stock safety trade on Wall Street misfires. Cigna's insolvency wave nears as last-ditch funding talks falter. SEC defeats summary judgment in insider trading suit alleging shadow trading. Leon Black's downfall confounds the legacy of Me Too on Wall Street. Warren Buffett says his will is going to be simple and public. Goldman Sachs paid pro-golfer Patrick Cantlay more than $1 million annually, sources say. Inside last-of-its-kind Chuck E. Cheese with an animatronic band. If you'd like to get Money Stuff in Handy email form right in your inbox, please subscribe at this link. Or you can subscribe to Money Stuff and other great Bloomberg newsletters here. Thanks. The somewhat hilarious rationale for this was that if the investors said our shares are worth $0 in a sufficiently loud and angry voice, the board would feel bad about what it had done and bring back Altman. Bloomberg, the potential move, which would make it more difficult for the company to raise additional funds, seemed designed to pressure the board to resign and bring Altman back. This might even have been correct, but it is like corporate governance by tantrum. For symmetry, I want an answer like less than $86 billion for discovery of artificial general intelligence reasons, but I have trouble coming up with a good one. Probably QSER uses a lot of expensive computing power, but if you were buying OpenAI stock before this, you were not worried about the short-term costs of computing power. You were betting on AI in the long run. Of course, this sometimes goes the other way, with VCs happy to take a big check now while the founders are the true believers and won't sell. A million dollars isn't cool, experienced investor Sean Parker tells Facebook's naive college student founders in the social network, but in real life, Mark Zuckerberg also turned down a billion-dollar sale to Yahoo that his venture capitalist board members thought he should take. That's a little unfair. This person probably wasn't really suggesting advertising the money laundering. That was probably sarcastic. It is reasonable to expect that your compliance employees will take the dimmest possible view of your compliance efforts. Of course, they want to be more compliant, and will complain sarcastically about what they perceive as compliance failures. Preferably not in writing, though. Come on, what are they teaching in compliance school? I definitely also imagine Gerald Cotton living in this house, although he is probably actually dead.